You're listening to the teaching ministry of Discovery Church in Bristol, Tennessee. For more information about Discovery, or for more free audio content, please visit discoverybristol.com. We are, we've been looking at these throughout the year, uh, such as Passover and, and Pentecost. Last week, the Feast of Trumpets. And looking at how these, uh, these moments that God had ordained, these festivals, to remember God's interaction with the people, uh, were not only significant in the Old Testament, but were fulfilled through the Messiah, through Jesus Christ. And so this morning, we've made it to a big one. We've made it to the, the Day of Atonement, to Yom Kippur. And so I'm excited. We got a lot of neat stuff to dive into, so I'm going to get going. In Leviticus 23, it gives us the outline. God gives them the outline of what Yom Kippur is to look like. The Lord said to Moses, The tenth day of the seventh month is the day of atonement. Hold a sacred assembly and deny yourselves the presence of food offering to the Lord. Do not do any work on that day, because it is the day of atonement, which atonement is made for you before the Lord your God. Those who do not deny themselves on that day must be cut off from their people. I will destroy from among their people anyone who does any work on that day. You shall not work at all. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come, whenever you, wherever you live. It is a day of Sabbath rest for you, and you must deny yourselves. From the evening of the ninth day of the month until the following evening, you are to observe the Sabbath. So remember, the, the first day of the month, of the seventh month, was the, the Feast of Trumpets. That's what we looked at last week. It would have been last Sunday, and then ten days later. So this Wednesday would be the Day of Atonement. And so this was a significant celebration among the, the Hebrew people. This was a day of national cleansing and of repentance. This is the day, this is Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement. It was believed that on this day, the whole nation's sins would be removed. And, and so, whether it would be your neighbor or, or yourself, your family, your extended family that might live in another village, everyone's sins would come together on this day and be wiped clean. And so this was a significant day. This was a day where there was a great accounting for your soul. Because your, the desire is that your sins would be cleansed on this day. And so if you remember from last week, the day of trumpet, it was significant that they were announcing it's the seventh month. Uh, it is, we are preparing for what is to come, preparing for this, for Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. So for these 10 days, the people would, would do extra bits of being nicer to each other. They would do extra things to try to make sure that their soul was cleansed, to, to try to right any wrongs that they had, that they had done in the, the past, in the past year. These were called the days, the the 10 awesome days that people were treating each other nicely and caring for one another, loving each other, kind of like kids right before Christmas, right? Uh, everyone behaves hoping that, that they get good Christmas gifts. And so they were repenting during this time because they were seeking forgiveness. Forgiveness from God. Forgiveness for the sins of what they've, what have transpired this past year. Forgiveness for their transgressions. Forgiveness from God. And then in turn, during this 10 days, they are trying to forgive one another. Trying to show this, this mercy to try to show this idea of forgiveness in hopes that God would forgive them. 
the details of Yom Kippur are, are spread out in a Leviticus 16. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and, and open it to Leviticus 16. We'll be there for a little while. We also have it up on the screen. But in Leviticus 16, God tells us some details about what they're to do on this special day. There's a, this was a spe- very special day, a significant day. It was a day that was unlike any others. <clears throat> The day focused on the temple. I believe we have a picture of the temple. Is that correct? All right. So in this temple, this was the the temple in Jerusalem. I hope you can see it. You might not be able to see the words, but you'll be able to to be able to get a glimpse. So this this Jewish temple, it was a temple for all of the people, right? This was the temple where God resided, and so there was different levels of of holiness as you entered the temple. Outside the temple, anyone could be. See on the bottom here it says court of the Gentiles. This is if you weren't Jewish, you could still come to the temple if you believed in Yahweh, if you believed in the Jewish God and you were a Gentile, basically you and I, we would be able to come to the outside of the temple. We would be in this outer court. We would be able to be there. We would worship there. We would purchase our sacrifices. Um, we, would, we would worship there. We would pray there in this outer temple. Then as you work your way in, it comes to this big section. This is the court of women. So this is where uh, all, all Hebrews were able to come, men and women, they were able to come within this part. This is a little bit closer to where God resided. And so this idea that we could get a little closer than the Gentiles could. But the women would have to stop there. From there they would transition. The men, the Hebrew men would come over to this left hand side and on this outer part on the outer rim you can see on this left side it says court of Israel. This is where the Jewish men were able to come. They would leave the women behind and they would come here and they would worship. They would meet, they would gather, they would sing, they would worship praises to God. This is where they would purchase their sacrifices. Then, as we get further in, we have the court of the priests, this inner part. This is where only the priests could go. It was one thing if you were a Jewish man, you could make it to the outskirts of it, but you wouldn't be able to make it beyond that. Only this is where the priests could go, the holy people, the people that were set apart and consecrated to encounter with God. But even from there, that's the inner part. There is the altar. And so this is where they would make the sacrifices. All the priests would be able to make the sacrifices on the altar. But then, only then could a few people make it in to this thing called, see where it says the porch, and then to the holy place. This is the most holy area. And so the the high priest and, and the chosen few would make it there. But then, then there would be this veil, a thick curtain. And only once a year was one person, the high priest that year, allowed to go in to the Holy of Holies, that little box on the left side. So the idea is that we go from everyone can come close to God and then just a few, a few, a few until it gets to one person. And even that one person had to go through a ritual, a cleansing. In Leviticus chapter 16 verse 4, it talks about that they had, the high priest would have to go through a cleansing and to wash themselves, to purify himself of his sins over the past year before he could go into the Holy of Holies. And it was so sacred because that was where God resided. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was, where the mercy seat is on top of, where God resided, and that the, only the high priest could go in there. And even then, they would, draw, they would tie a cord to the high priest's belt. And so if he was to die for some reason in the Holy of Holies, no one would go in and get him. They would just pull him out because it was that sacred that no one else could go in there throughout the year. And so this is the one day of the year, Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, that the sins of the entire nation are atoned for on the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant. 
This is the one day of the entire year that the high priest who is cleansed and has gone through this ritual cleansing would take the sacrifices. He would first take the blood of a bull and he would go into the Holy of Holies and he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat. And then he would come out and he would get the next sacrifice. This is where we read chapter 16, verse 7. Then he is to take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meetings. He is to cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering. But the goat chosen by lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make use and make it for making atonement by sending it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. So these two goats were purchased, the, the, they were purchased together. They were meant to be the very similar goats. They were, were to be the same size. They were to, uh, to have cost the same amount. They're supposed to have looked identical. And so these two goats, the, the high priest would, would receive and he would take the jewels off his breastplate. There was two jewels, a black one and a white one that he would take off and they would put it in a bowl and he would look away and he would grab the two, the two uh, stones with his hands. And then whichever one had the black stone, that goat <clears throat> was then sacrificed to the Lord. That goat would be, uh, would be butchered and sacrificed and they would take the blood of that goat and, they would, and the high priest would take that blood into the Holy of Holies with his rope tied to his back and he would go in and he would sprinkle this on the mercy seat. This is where God sat. This is where God resided. And so he would sprinkle this blood as a means to, to appease the wrath of God for their sins. It was, this blood was to cover up the sins that they have committed. And so they would come and in an effort to appease the wrath of God, in an effort to cover up, to cover up the mercy seat, they would cover up with the blood of this goat. And they would sprinkle it and splatter it on the seat to cover up the sins of the nation. But there were two goats. And we have a guest today. Olivia, could you come on out? Olivia's coming. You might be a little stubborn to, we have a, a visitor. Oh, here we come. So we have Trixie. Trixie is our second goat. Oh, Trixie's hesitant. She's coming. There we go. We got treats and so it'll pay off. All right, Trixie, come on up. Here she comes. She's hesitant. This is Trixie, everybody. Welcome, Trixie. Oh, isn't she cute? Too bad her sister got murdered. <laughs> All right. Trixie, I got, I got, we got treats. Come here. Come here. All right, she's thinking about it. Okay, so Trixie would come. So the second goat would come, and the high priest would probably not feed it little treats. Uh, the high priest would, would take Trixie. And so the first goat was sacrificed. And the blood of the first goat was meant to cover up the sins of the people, right? To, uh, uh, to appease the wrath of God. But the second goat was to, to be what we call the scapegoat. Because the sins of the entire nation were placed upon this goat. And so the, the high priest would come, up, come on and so they would have someone that was in charge of the goat. And the high priest would take his hands and he would place it on the head of the goat. And there he would place the sins 
of all of, of all of mankind. The sins of all the Hebrews from this past year are placed on this goat. And then there was something significant that they, the high priest would do. He would take a crimson thread and he would tie it to the horn of the goat. Then Trixie or the, the scapegoat would be led out into the wilderness. Do you think Trixie will go down the stairs? We're going to lead it out to the wilderness. Try not to pet Trixie. She's covered in sin. You don't want that. All right. Go show the, show the children all your, your sin. There we go. All right. She's thinking about it. All right. Can I pick her up? Yeah. All right. We'll see how this works. All right. That could have gone awful. So far, this has been good. I warned the worship team to look out where you step when you come back out. We didn't know what was going to happen. And so the scapegoat would take the sin of the, all of mankind, the sin of all the Hebrew nation. So people would see that this was a big ceremony that the high priest would place his hands on the head of the second goat. The first goat has been murdered and, and sacrificed and the blood has been spent to cover up the wrath. But this one, the sins of the entire nation, the sins of this world, of this, of this past year were placed on the goat. The goat was then led off and that's where we get the term scapegoat because it was the one that would take the, the sins of the entire nation and that goat would be led off into the wilderness. This journey was a, a six Sabbath journey which means it took about six weeks that they would go off and this person guiding the goat would walk for six weeks guiding the goat away. They would finally eventually make it to a, a cliff, a designated spot, a designated cliff and at there they would push the goat over the cliff. And it was meant to be, and I don't mean to be graphic, it was meant to be a ragged cliff that the goat would instantly die and, and be ripped apart because it was significant. This is the sins of all of mankind for the past year are placed on this goat. We are trying to get rid of these sins, to get these, cast these sins away as far as east is from the west, that these sins would go away. Well, there was something significant that happened. The, the goat has been gone for six months. And before the goat would leave, they would tie the crimson cord onto the goat's horn, correct? But they would then take that, take that uh, crimson thread and they would break it. And they would take the remaining of the cord and they would tie it to the doorpost on the temple. And then after about six weeks, the high priest would come and he would see that this crimson thread had changed to white. It would change on its own, uh, tied to the doorpost. And when the crimson thread was, was pure white, the high priest would announce that the goat had, had died, that the sins are gone, the sins are removed, and that the people are clean for another year. So the sun, in the Middle Eastern sun, probably was, was fading this cord, Right? That over time, over six weeks, the, the dye would, would fade and it would become white. But it was significant that this red cord had now turned white. And so it says, Leviticus 16, 15. He shall slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people and take his blood behind the curtain and do with it what he did with the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it. So this is what he did to appease the, the sin, to cover it up. But then the other goat, he would take it. And that other goat was meant to remove the sins. And so we would get this idea that the, this crimson thread turned white. It would remind the people, and this is where the priests would proclaim that their sins are forgiven because of Isaiah 1.18 says, Come now, let us settle this matter, says the Lord. Though your sins were like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. 
Though, though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. It was significant that their sins were removed for this year. Then the whole process had to start again. There had to be another sacrifice the next day of atonement. There had to be another 10 days of awesomeness. There had to be another time where you were trying to earn your way to be forgiven, where you were forgiving others because it happened over and over. But as Christians, this is where the day of atonement is beautiful and amazing because we don't have to do this year after year. There is one sacrifice once and for all. In Hebrews 7.27 it says, unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of his people. He sacrificed their sins once for all when he offered himself. And so, Jesus dying on the cross was the ultimate sacrifice. This idea of these, these goats that had to be killed and, and sent away every year on Yom Kippur is no longer needed because Jesus fulfilled this. Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. This is a beautiful illustration that what took two different goats, Jesus did by himself because his blood on the cross covered up, satisfied the wrath of God for our sins. Romans 5, 9 says, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? That we are saved from the wrath through Jesus. Where that first goat was put on the, the blood is sprinkled on the mercy seat to cover up their sins. Our sins. As we've accepted Jesus as our savior, as our Messiah, our sins are covered up. That his blood covered it up, uh, appeased the wrath of God for, for what sin brings. But then Jesus cast our sins as far as east is from the west. As Psalms 103 says, that because of Jesus, because of his conquering of sin, because of his conquering of death, because of his conquering of Satan, our, we are no longer plagued with these sins that we have to come back year after year after year after year after year after year after generation after generation after century after century as the Hebrews had to. Because Jesus appeased this. Because Jesus covered up our sins and he cast our sins away that we would be forgiven. How beautiful is that? Jesus was the scapegoat. He took our sins upon him and he went out and he got rid of these sins. And because of that, you and I are forgiven. As they prepared for Yom Kippur, they were seeking atonement, they were seeking forgiveness. They would seek to forgive one another. That if there was someone that they needed to forgive, they, they would let it go. They would seek them out and they would, they would ask for forgiveness if they had done the wrong or they would give forgiveness if someone else had wronged them. And as we talk about this day, think about that. The significance of what Jesus did on the cross. That he took the place to cover up our sins and to cast it away to bring us forgiveness. Are we forgiving others? Are we forgiving those that have hurt us? Because unforgiveness is like a weight. It's like baggage that we're just carrying, bringing us down, chaining us to something else. How many times do we need to seek, to seek forgiveness? 
to, to right a wrong that maybe we have committed. How many times in your life right now is there someone you need to forgive? Perhaps your spouse has wronged you in, in the last year, in the last month, last week, that you need to forgive. That you're harboring and holding on. Perhaps something in the past that you've been carrying with you for a long time, that's this baggage that we've been carrying, that you just need to forgive. Someone that you need to, to let go so that you could be set free from this burden. There's a, this idea in the Jewish faith that you could even forgive the dead. And there's a story of a man, a Holocaust survivor, who was going to move to America. And before he left Germany, he went to Hitler's grave and he forgave Hitler. And someone asked him, why would you do that? And he said, I don't need to take Hitler with me to America. So often we take these hurt and we take the guilt and we take the pain and we take this with us day after day from place after place instead of seeking forgiveness. Jesus forgave us. We are to forgive. When Jesus is talking to the disciples, Peter asked him in Matthew 18, it says, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. I don't think this is a literal number that we're supposed to keep track of because I got, I figured there's a lot of people that I'm at number 76 and they're just waiting for me to mess up one more time, right? And they're like, okay, Matt, you're out. So I'm thankful. I don't think this is a number. As much as the point is to continue to forgive, to live in this time, this time from these 10 days of awesome. It says during this 10 days, the, the Jews would say that during these 10 days, all creatures came before God and set things straight, including you and me. As we prepare, we're going to take communion in here in a minute. As we prepare to come before the Lord, we need to set things straight. We're going to sing a song, and maybe during the song, I just want to encourage you, if you just need to work through something, if you need to stop and listen to God, if he puts someone on your heart to forgive, that you would take note of that. That you would... Seek forgiveness later this day. Maybe, maybe you just gotta turn around and head outside and, and send a text message right now to forgive somebody else. But we are to forgive because we have been forgiven. Our sins have been covered up. Our sins have been cast away. You and I are set free. Jesus set us free on the cross when he died, but more importantly, when he rose again, when he conquered death, when he conquered sin, he set us free. During this day of atonement, they would greet one another, the Jews would, as they're preparing for this on this 10 days, they would say, may your name be written in the book of life, saying that let your soul be cleansed, then seek forgiveness, correct your wrongs, so that on the day of atonement, when our, when our sins are cast away on the scapegoat, let our name be written in the book of life. And we have the assurance that when we accept Jesus as our Savior, our name is written in that book. And so if you don't have that assurance, if you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, I want to encourage you to do so today. Come see us in the prayer room. Talk to me outside. Let us walk you through this. Because today is a day of forgiveness. Today is a day of atonement as every day is because our sins 
are wiped clean because of what Jesus did on this, on this cross. We are thankful for that, that all the creatures during these 10 days of awesome would praise God and sing of his praises. If you'll stand and worship. So in 70 AD, the the temple is destroyed and so they can no longer perform the sacrifices for Yom Kippur. But listen to what the Talmud says. And I think we might have it up here. The Talmud says, for 40 years before the destruction of the temple, it says the the Jerusalem Talmud, the western light went out, the crimson thread remained crimson, and the lot for the Lord always came up in the left hand. They would close the gates of the temple by night and get up in the morning and find them wide open. This might not mean much to you, but when, as I was digging into it, I was just blown away by this, right? So 40 years before 70 AD is about 30 AD, the time of Jesus' death. That Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate scapegoat, the ultimate covering of our sin, the ultimate appeasement of our sin uh, for the wrath of God. That Jesus was the final sacrifice, and it says that we no longer needed the sacrifice after Jesus. Hebrews says that. And so from the time of Jesus' death on until the destruction of the temple, this Jewish document states these, these four miracles. And I just want to share with you these miracles to show you how significant this is that Jesus fulfilled this feast. The first of the miracles was the casting of lots. Remember I said that there were two stones taken off the breastplate of the high priest and they were put in and one had the black stone and one was the white stone and they would pull it out. And it was kind of like with our Groundhog's Day, right? That there was tradition, and if, they, if the Groundhog sees his shadow, it's bad luck and, if, and so forth. Well, it was tradition that if it happened, if the, the lot for the, for the goat to be slaughtered was in the left hand, that was bad luck. Well, basically, every other year, it would go left and right, left and right. Maybe two rights, two lefts, just like flipping a coin. There's no way to tell, but it was always the tradition. But it says there in the Talmud, for 40 years, it would come up in the left hand. God guided the the lots that were cast. The odds of that is 5.5 billion to one for those lots to come up in the left hand for the 40 straight years after Jesus' death. And so what does that mean? Jesus took the role of both goats. That he was the ultimate sacrifice. It didn't matter if there was a left or right. Jesus took the role of both of these goats. He covered their sins and he covered our sins and he cast them out from east to the west. The next miracle the Talmud says that the western light burned out. The, the menorah, the seven candles, the, the candle on the west was the one that they would use to light the other candles. And it was said that this candle never burned out. But for 40 years, that candle every night would burn out. It had never happened before, but every night they would light it and they would try to figure out what to do. They would change the candle. They would do different things to switch it out. And for every, even for every night for 40 years, that candle burned out because it was no longer needed. They no longer needed this light because as Jesus says in John 8, 12, when he spoke again to the people, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, will have the light of life. They no longer needed this menorah. And so for the 40 years after Jesus' death, there was no longer needed that because the sacrifice had been made. The Talmud talks about the doors. The doors of of the temple were closed every night. And for some miraculous reason, by God's hand, those temple doors were opened up every night. They couldn't figure it out. 
They would try different avenues to, to lock up the doors. They would put blockades in front of the doors. And yet in the morning they would come and those doors were flung open every night after Jesus' death. Because now all of mankind has access to the Lord. It is no longer this idea that thus Gentiles can't even make it in the temple or that the women are set separate or that even the Israelites or even the priests, but only the high priest can be in contact with the Lord. No, now those temple doors are flung open and all of us have access to God because of the sacrifice of Jesus. This is all written in a Jewish document that they're recording this happen for 40 years before the, the destruction of the temple for the years after Jesus' death. And finally, it says that the crimson thread remained crimson. That for the next 40 years after Jesus' death, the goat, the scapegoat would go and it would take this journey and they would push the goat off the, the, uh, the cliff of after six weeks and the high priest would come to the temple door to look at the crimson, uh, crimson cord which should have changed white and it was still red. For some reason, it had not faded because this sacrifice no longer took away their sins. The scapegoat no longer had the sins of mankind, no longer had the sins of the Jews on it. Jesus took away those sins. And so this crimson cord was changed every single year by the fading of the sun, sat out in the Middle Eastern sun, and never once faded for all the years after Jesus' death. Jesus fulfilled Yom Kippur. Jesus fulfilled the Day of Atonement. And because of that, your sins and my sins are atoned for. Your sins and my sins are forgiven. So on your seat, you had a crimson cord. Each one of us has our sins that we carry with us. Maybe each one of us has a baggage and the hurt that we've carried with us in the past. But I want us to remember that these are not ours to carry. We have been made white as snow. Our sins who were once crimson, once like scarlet, are now white like wool. And so we have communion stations around the room. And this morning as you go and spend this time with God, thanking Jesus for his death on the cross and his resurrection. I want you to take your crimson cord and place it at the table at communion and then grab a white one. And then today, maybe tie that white one around your wrist for the day. Maybe if it's a short little piece, tie it around a ring. Have it somewhere on you just for the day to remind you all day long, your sins are wiped clean. Our sins are covered up. The wrath of God is covered. And our sins are cast away as far as east is from the west. If you'll pray, God, we thank you for this. I thank you that our sins are now white as snow. God, we're sinners. We're failed. And you don't see that. You see your sons and daughters. Because of what Jesus did on the cross. He took our sins. And as we find faith in Jesus that he did this and that he rose again, we find forgiveness. We find atonement. We find that we are set free. And that we are made now 
cleansed, white as snow. God, I lift up this time of communion that it be one of significance as we exchange our sins for the truth that we are set free. As we come and take the bread and the juice to represent your body and your blood and the victory over death. God, we lift this up in your name.